I told the court that I'm wrong to imprison. Mr. Simpson, you, you are know. not going to the jury. There's too much being hid from you. You have to be taken out of the court. There's too much. He was one small man in a giant wheel caught. Well, I do wish to say that it's official that I'm wrongfully imprisoned right now. Uncover, Season 7, Dead Wrong. I asked him if he killed Pipple. He said yes, and I'd be next. Available on CBC Listen and wherever you get your podcasts. This is a CBC Podcast. Bit of a trippy question. What does the Milky Way sound like? Have you ever given that much thought? Well, here is one interpretation. It's a little snapshot of the Milky Way as represented by a NASA sonification project. project takes data captured by telescopes looking out into space and turns that data into sounds instead of images. Kimberly Arcand is a visualization scientist at the Smithsonian Astrophysical Observatory and NASA. Kimberly, good morning. Good morning. What was I just hearing? You were hearing a beautiful sort of sweep across an image of the inner, say, 400 light years of our Milky Way. It's kind of like the downtown region where there's black holes and little explosions and lots of stars. And you're hearing us translate those pixels into sound. There's a little part of my brain, I think, that just melted in how you describe that. <laughs> Tell me about this uh, and, and where this idea came from. Why did you want to turn space into sound? Well, the idea actually came from my colleague, Wanda Diaz, who is an astronomer and computer scientist who is blind. And she uses sonification or this idea of translating data into sound for her research to study stars and stellar populations. And so we started working with our projects, actually, who are based in Canada, System Sounds, in order to do this type of sound mapping for our images, because we really, particularly during the pandemic, we wanted to continue to like work with communities, uh, people who are blind or low vision, for example, to be able to like connect with them still hmm. during, during the pandemic. And so how do you go about doing this? Walk us through in a way that we would possibly understand how you take the data and turn it into sounds. What, what, start with, start with the beginning and what, what you're getting from those telescopes. Sure. So we take a telescope like, say, NASA's Chandra X-ray Observatory, which is looking at X-ray light. So that is a type of light that humans can't see anyways. And we're capturing that through like special detectors and then essentially transferring it down to, you know, here in the U.S. where we're creating things from it. We're taking that data that starts out as just ones and zeros, and we're unpacking that data and then translating it through coding into a table of information, like all of the energy, the location of each photon, each packet of energy that struck the telescope's detector during observations. And then from there, we typically take it and translate that table into, say, an image. But, you know, again, this is invisible data to humans naturally, so we can also prioritize other types of of, you know, means of knowing or means of learning. And we can translate into an image or sound rather. And so to do that, what we're doing is we're just taking the image and mathematically mapping it, taking those pixels and translating them into something you can hear instead. How do you determine what instrument it is that would be appropriate for the information that you collected that you're turning into sound? So 
It's all about making sure you're staying true to the scientific story, right? In the case of the Galactic Center that we heard, it's a really busy, it's like Times Square. There's all of this stuff happening. It's so energetic. And we have three different kinds of light that we're working with. X-ray light from Chandra, some optical light from Hubble, and some cooler infrared light from the Spitzer Space Telescope. So it's just, it's just jam-packed full of information. So one of the first things we learned is when we're applying sounds to this type of data is we have to make sure the sounds are distinct but still pleasing together, right? Like a, a proper ensemble, you're going to have moments where there are sort of these solos, but then there are also these moments of really amazing harmony. And in order for like our human brains to make meaning from these sounds, we need to make sure that it's both distinct enough in sound, but also that they combine well together, that they make sense together. And so that's kind of what we did. We took the highest energy and we mapped it to a glockenspiel. We took the lowest energy and we mapped it to a soft piano. And then the mid-range was mapped to a plucky violin. And so when you pushed play for the first time, what was your reaction? Oh, I almost fell out of my chair. It was so beautiful. I'm so used to looking at this data. Like I work on creating these visuals. I have just sort of drowned in this data for so long that the first time I've I've heard some of this data, I just I just enjoy it so much because it makes me think of the data differently. It makes me process it differently. And I really appreciate that. I mean, it's interesting because, again, what the telescope brings back is data that is then turned into an image. We think of space and we think of those images that that James Webb or Hubble or what have you have captured. But th- there isn't sound that's attached to that. So for us right. to make that leap is is something different, right? It is different. And, you know, we do have instances where we're actually able to collect sound-based information. So, for example, there is this supermassive black hole far, far away and a cluster of galaxies, and it's burping out into the surrounding hot gas near it. And it's causing these pressure waves, which are sound waves. And scientists in the UK were able to calculate that that was a B-flat, about 57 octaves below middle C, right? But, of course, we're too far away. We can't hear that. It's too low for us to hear. There's no stuff in between us and that object. So even though there is sound in space, we can't hear it anyways. We're very isolated in our beautiful blue marble here. And so we have to think of different ways to translate this information for us to be able to understand it. The burping in the B-flat is fascinating. The, one of the <laughs> neat things about this is that th- there are these soundscapes, but then you went even further and, and you turned and helped uh, turn these into a musical composition, thanks to Sophie Kastner, who's a composer who's in Montreal. And Sophie uh, joins us now from Montreal. Sophie, hello to you. Hello, good morning. This is such an interesting idea. Why did you want to make a composition out of the data and the information that Kimberly has been describing here? Um, Well, Kim originally approached me with the idea of taking the original sonifications that they had made and turning them into sheet music for musicians. Um, And so I, because she had gotten a lot of requests from musicians to play it. um, And so I kind of initially tried to do that. And I slowly realized like there was so much more of a story to tell with the image than, you know, what I could do just by turning the, the sonification into sheet music. Um, and that there was really a composition there. There was like, um, there was a whole piece of music. Um, and so I, I sort of worked with Kim, like we worked in a collaborative way to create the, um, piece where parallel lines converge, um, for an ensemble about, about seven instruments. How do you go about composing something that, 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 that is representative of the sound of space? I mean, can, what is that process like? 
Well, it was a new process for me as well. I, I think, um, but I really, I really took the, I really did it in a very analytical way, actually. Um, and I took the the um, parameters of the original sonifications, um, and I used the same parameters in my composition. So I, I took like the type of wa the wavelength or the type of light, and I translated that to um, timbre and register. Um, I took the morphology or the structure of the light, and I turned that into resonance. You know, so I, I took these parameters of data, and I. I turned them into parameters of musical parameters. Okay, well, I want to play a little bit of this, and I'm going to get you to describe it. This is based, this composition, based on the Milky Way, and as you said, it's called Where Parallel Lines Converge. Let's have a listen. Okay, Sophie, describe what we're hearing. Walk us through what part of the Milky Way you are depicting there? Um, so this is the um, kind of infrared, the gassy infrared light that surrounds the X-ray binary. Um, so you can kind of see that in the far um, in the far left of the image. Um, and I sort of started here because there's this there's this a lot of empty space there, and I wanted to convey like this mysterious quality. So I used a lot of low. Um, you know, bass clarinet and cello and some more, you know, um, a little rougher timbres um, to convey that infrared, that low infrared light. Kimberly, what's the X-ray binary? So an X-ray binary is, is essentially a pair of stars or one is a normal star and the other is a collapsed star of some kind, like a neutron star or a black hole that are dancing together. And you can kind of think of them as dancing, not like um, a slow Roomba or tango, but more like a faster, like foxtrot or cha-cha. And so there is this wonderful X-ray energy that can be expelled from around them. And so what it is, it's like this, this little island, if you will, these two interacting objects. And it's very exciting in the high energy, a little less so, of course, in the lower energy. And I think Sophie's really able to capture the sort of spirit of what those objects are up to. And it, you know what I think I love about it is that it gives me time to slow down and think about just those two little objects in this huge swath of a super rich, super dense field of information. All right, I want to play a little bit more. This is from the conclusion to the piece. Sophie, it's beautiful. Thank you. <laughs> Does it, I mean, one of the things about music is it takes you somewhere. When I listen to a piece of music that I love, it kind of transports me somewhere does is that in some ways the point of that i mean when you when you look at that image of the milky way is it are you taken to that place through the music that you hear in your head yes definitely i feel like for me the the image has so much movement to it it's it's for me it, it connotes like this sense of spiraling and that's really what i wanted to convey at the end of the piece especially um because you know i'm focusing in on the on the black hole that's at the center of the galaxy and you get this feeling of stars spiraling toward the center. And I wanted to convey that with all these, you know, um, high, the, the, I use the glockenspiel, which is in the original um, galactic center sonification. Um, and I wanted to have all of these pingy, like high textures that are just like continuously spiraling. 
What did you learn in the process of this um, about the difference and the gap between art and science? Because people might think that they're very different things, but they're not, right? They're actually really closely aligned. Yeah, I think something I realized is that um, what Kim is doing, like Kim is an artist and um, she's also a scientist. And what she's doing, like the images that that she makes, they're already art because they're already you're already making artistic choices of what color to portray things in and and so everything we're like when we make representations of data that in a way is art and i think what i realized about my process is that there was a lot of scientific there was a scientific element to my process where i was i was doing a very analytical process but then i was also making artistic choices so i think like as humans we're always trying to make sense of the world and one of the ways we make sense of the world is through art. Mm. And so why shouldn't science and art be connected? Kimberly, we're just about out of time. But finally, I mean, when I look at the Milky Way, whether it's at the images or I'm looking through a telescope or I'm out somewhere really, really dark, am I going to think differently now about it because I've heard it in some ways? I hope so, right? I mean, the universe is just an incredibly fascinating place. And anything we can do to bring that just a little bit closer to us. Anything we can do to make some meaning out of what we all have access to or should have access to just makes me very happy. This is such a wild project. I'm really <laughs> glad to talk to you. But it is. It's just your head is kind of spinning <laughs> thinking about it, which is really great. Thank you both for telling us about it. Thank, Thank you, you so for much. Us. Kimberly Arcand is a visualization scientist at the Smithsonian Astrophysical Observatory and NASA. And Sophie Kastner is a composer who is based in Montreal. For more CBC Podcasts, go to cbc.ca slash podcasts.